You're listening to the Islamic Sustainable Finance and Investment Podcast, the show discussing the latest and most exciting developments of Sharia-compliant sustainable finance. This episode is brought to you by Chagamas Berhad in conjunction with its 35th anniversary. For more information on Malaysia's National Mortgage Corporation, log on to www.chagamas.com.my. The physical risks of climate change are of devastating proportion with the potential to adversely impact the safety and soundness of banks. It is then no surprise that the regulatory pressure on financial institutions to adopt effective climate risk management practices has been stronger than ever. Bank Negara Malaysia, or BNM, in December released its policy document on climate risk management and scenario analysis, outlining related principles and requirements to enhance the financial sector's resilience against climate-related risk and to facilitate a just and orderly transition to a low-carbon economy. I'm Vinita Tan, and in today's episode, I speak to Madalina Mohamed, the director of Bank Negara Malaysia's Sustainability Unit, to understand how financial institutions in Malaysia are to approach climate risk within the context of the new policy. Madalina, with the release of BNM's policy document, are financial institutions now required to treat climate risk in a similar way to how they might approach the more conventional risk? Well, um, Vanita, um, I would say yes and no. And let me explain why I say that. Now, um, well, the need for financial institutions to manage climate risk has actually been gaining traction way before we issued the policy document. In fact, we began engaging our financial institutions back in 2019. And that's even before, you know, uh, we had COVID. And then we saw, you know, then we already saw a recurring and growing damaging impact of climate change on the economy as well as on the society. Now, for the financial sector, it was affected too, although it was more contained at um, that time. So let me just share a little bit uh, or a few examples. Uh, for instance, in 2014, Kelantan and Trungganu experienced among the worst floods then. Families lost their homes, businesses and banks had to close their operations temporarily and billions had to be spent to rebuild basic infrastructure, such as roads and schools. So then in 2016, we experienced severe and prolonged El Nino. So the drought caused the agriculture sector to contract by 5.2% again in 2018. Adverse weather dented yields that led the agriculture sector to contract by up to 2% in the second quarter and with implications on food prices. Now, climate change can also have transboundary impact. For instance, our car manufacturers, along with those in Japan and the US, had to slow down production as the Thai floods in 2011 interrupted the supply of parts uh, from Thai factories. So I can go on and on uh, in terms of the impact of climate change on the economy, society and financial sector. But the key point that I want to stress is to be in a state of preparedness. And this is what the CRMSA is about. Just as our experience with COVID-19 showed the importance of building the resilience to be in a state of readiness. So climate change may be a new area of challenge for us, but the effects transmit to the financial institutions through the same channels as conventional risk. That is through the credit channel, market, liquidity, and operations channels. So how is it different? Why is there so much attention accorded to climate? Well, first, in terms of the risk horizon and magnitude. So the adverse impact of climate is seen only in the longer horizon of, say, 30, 40 years down the road, beyond a typical business or financial cycle. 
Second, human actions and government policies could and would alter the manner and pace of transmission. What Meaning this can either help minimize or compound the impact. So what is important is to have a deep understanding of what climate change entails, how it's interconnected with and influence the different components of the economy and society. And this brings me to the third point, the risk indicators. So while the channels of risk transmission are similar, the manner in which risks are transmitted differ. This requires a renewed look at the manner risks are measured and how it's captured. So for instance, there may be a need to revisit credit scoring models or credit decision-making frameworks to integrate or to incorporate or even to overlay climate-related factors. And finally, one, uh, another dimension which is yet to gain traction is the interaction between climate and nature and the fact that they can reinforce and exacerbate the impact on each other. So given these differences, for financial institutions to be in a state of readiness requires them to respond to climate change urgently, strategically and holistically. So their risk management framework has to integrate all material risks including climate. So as I said earlier, the CRMSA document is intended to further enhance the resilience of the financial sector against climate-related risks. And building resilience also involves the sector supporting the economy to progress on the transition path in a manner that is orderly and just. So in drawing up the CRMSA, we actually looked at existing global standards. We look at best practice, uh, including that um, of the Basel Committee and the recommendations by the task force on climate-related financial disclosures, commonly known as um, TCFD. So we also leverage information we learn from our counterparts and the NGFS community. That's it. We remain mindful to contextualize, to make it relevant and practical for us. So going back to your question, Veneta, whether financial institutions are now required to treat climate risk in a similar way to how they might approach the more conventional risk, I would say yes, insofar as climate risks do transmit through similar risk channels as that of conventional risk, but it is a highly complex and fast-evolving area, and we must recognise that there are differences in the manner and pace of the risk transmission. The magnitude and the outreach of the impact is certainly wider, and as we gain better knowledge and as we become more conversant, there are new elements that need to be considered beyond climate risk, such as nature-related Absolutely. And I think you you really nearly in the head when you say that it is complex and it is evolving, right? So I reckon, you know, in light of how fast or, or how much we're learning about, about climate risk, drawing up policy documents or trying to regulate or try to provide guidance is also quite a challenge. Could you perhaps um, walk us through the process in terms of how you drafted, how BNM drafted the policy document, and also what is the timeline for its implementation? Right, sure. So in drawing up the um, policy document, so as I mentioned, you know, we actually look at what our peers, what uh, our counterparts um, have actually done. We look at, you know, what's available out there and look at, you know, what infrastructure do we have? What experience do we have, and how can we actually, you know, uh, put in develop a policy document that would help our financial institutions to be at that state of readiness? And when we do this, we actually consult the industry. We work together with the industry to ensure that you know the policy 
document um, that we issue, the policies and requirements that we set out for them to to um, um, uh, implement um, are clear and they are actually implementable. So we do know that, you know, operationally there could be certain um, issues that the financial institutions have to deal with. So we need to make sure that, you know, uh, the, the requirements that we set out make sense. So we do that. We, we go on the consultative approach and... Um, uh, um, and, and in fact, when we um, issued the, the, the document um, for consultation, we received feedback from 99 respondents. So, and, um, you know, and uh, we look at it, we go through every single uh, feedback that we receive. And for transparency, we also issued along with the final document, what we call a feedback statement. So the feedback statement basically pulls together the key feedback that we have received and our responses to those feedback and how we have actually dealt with them in the final document. So that was actually the process that, that went through. And based on the, uh, before I go into the implementation part, so based on the feedback that we received, the industry um, is broadly supportive of the principles that re and requirements that we have put forward. So in terms of the, um, and in terms of the final document, um, there are 14 principles and we do also have specific requirements and guidance on six components that lay out the expectations on areas relating to governance, um, strategy, risk appetite, risk management, scenario analysis and disclosures. So on your uh, question about implementation, so on implementation, we do note that our financial institutions are at varying, varying stages of understanding and readiness. So they are actually you know, along the, the, the spectrum of uh, um, almost ready and yet to be ready. So a few have started to integrate climate-related risks in business decisions and also their, climate, uh, their risk management practices, but there are many others that are still in the early stages of doing so, especially the smaller ones. So giving sufficient time for the financial institutions to build the capacity and capability is absolutely key. So we have actually then you know, incorporated that, taken that into account and staggered the um, uh, implementation starting from uh, December uh, this year to give room for financial institutions to prepare themselves in terms of capacities and capabilities. And this phase implementation approach is very much welcomed by um, the industry. So let me just share a few of these um, implement staggered implementation. So for instance, um, in terms of the appointment of a designated officer to oversee a the effective management of climate-related risks and development of data capabilities, tools, and methodologies. These are to be in place by end of this year. But as for um, identification and monitoring of internal climate-related targets, as well as the use of scenarios um, to uh, scenario analysis to assess the impact of climate-related factors on business strategies. We do note that these are actually definitely more challenging and more time is needed. Therefore, the effective date for um, these requirements would only be next year, end of next year. Similarly, for the uh, mandatory uh, climate-related disclosures in line with the TCFD, that would only also take um, effect next year. So we do recognize that the implementation of the principles and requirements can be daunting and some require guidance on how best do they actually start this journey. So the policy document 
also comes with a supplemental guidance that provides case studies and reference resources. So for example, one of the case um, studies uh, provides an illustrative example of how financial institutions can set climate-related targets. There are practical steps that outline the processes to be undertaken in setting such targets. Another point on um, implementation, Vanita, is the adoption of what we call proportionality. So this means that financial institutions will consider materiality of climate-related risk to the size, to the nature and complexity of their operations. So as a start, they should incorporate climate-related risk considerations into their risk management framework and prioritize efforts to manage exposures that could materially impact them while at the same time continuing to build capacity to manage other exposures which are less material or where methodologies uh, may not be as mature. So within the next um, few months, um, financial institutions, uh, they do have a, a job to do. They, they, they are to perform what we call a gap analysis. So basically what they have to do is to look at what, what existing practices they have and compare that against the requirements in the policy documents. So they are to highlight and identify all the key implementation gaps and develop a board-approved implementation plan. And those plan and the, the plan will need to have clear timeline, we need to have interim targets and also milestones to address those gaps. And the gap analysis as well as the implementation plan will have to be submitted to the bank by June uh, this year. So on this, we will take an iterative approach. We will be working very closely with the industry to ensure the end outcomes of the requirements are achieved progressively. So in terms of continuing to build climate resilience, you know, within the Malaysia financial services sector, what comes after the policy document? Okay, well, we started this journey focusing on laying out the foundation and the financial ecosystem. So we focus, uh, for instance, on those in leadership positions within the financial institutions. We want them to own it. We want them to take accountability and not see climate risk management as a regulator agenda. So setting the right tone from the top on the significance of climate resilient organization is very key. Then in 2019, along with um, uh, Securities Commission Malaysia, we formed what we call the Joint Committee on Climate Change, or it's more commonly known as JC3. So JC3 serves as a partnership platform between um, the regu financial regulators and also the broader financial sector. So the JC3, since then has actually been focusing on what uh, on developing practical tools for use by the industry players. And they have actually issued a number of uh, tools um, such, uh, in areas such as risk management, uh, on disclosures and, and governance. And they are also looking into uh, data issues and challenges. They focus on capacity building and not to forget uh, products and solutions. Then um, in 2021, um, we issued the uh, Climate Change and Principle-Based Taxonomy. So that serves as a guidance document. And last year, um, we require uh, reporting of uh, financial institutions' exposures based on the taxonomy classification. And of course, we issued the um, risk, uh, climate risk management and scenario analysis uh, policy document. So what we have done in the past, Veneta, is actually to lay out the foundation, to lay out the infrastructure. So to your question, what's next? The focus going forward is on effective execution. 
So we've laid down, as I mentioned, laid down the uh, framework. So we need to make sure that the implementation happens. So focus is on exit. Ex, uh, effective execution in terms of the taxonomy, in terms of the risk management expectations, in terms of products and solutions and so forth. And another area that we would also be paying uh, a very close attention is to continue to develop knowledge and competencies, not only of the industry, but also us at the bank. So, and in better sizing the risk um, and therefore, you know, for us to help us uh, consider the necessary policy uh, responses, we will be undertaking what we call an industry-wide stress testing that will happen in 2024, so next year. So leading up to, to the exercise, we will be working towards finalizing the frameworks, the, the, the approaches for the stress testing. And we will definitely continue with our engagements um, and conversations with uh, financial institutions. So... We are aware, Vanita, that to manage climate risk, solutions have to evolve faster than the problem. So we will continue to work closely with the industry to the through the JC3 platform to ensure steady progress in greening the uh, finance and also financing green. So on financing green, we have set clear targets in the financial sector blueprint that uh, was issued last year. So we aim to see significant progress in the practices of financial institutions to assess uh, in the way they uh, measure and manage uh, as well as disclose climate-related risks. So we also aim for an increase in the share of financial flows towards what we call climate supporting and transitioning activities. And we have actually set a target where at least 50% of new financing um, is channeled for climate supporting and transitioning activities by 2026. Now, to achieve this, um, what we are now focusing is uh, what we call pilot solutions. So it's basically to encourage innovation in green finance. So this would be um, uh, innovative prote uh, protection solutions for floods, blended finance options to explore risk um, sharing um, uh, arrangements that can crowd in uh, the much-needed private sector funding for adaptation and transition activities. And in this journey, we also do expect the financial institutions to increase their focus on building capabilities that will enable them to provide meaningful support to help their customers. So it's not just them building the capabilities for them to be able to manage the risk, but also for them to actually provide and you know and, and to provide support and advice to their customers. So alignment, uh, the other point is on alignment of financial sector responses with national policies. So that is also key. And for that, um, we will be focusing on strengthening engagements between the financial sector and policymakers. So in a nutshell, Vanita, while we see progress, uh, we have seen progress within the financial industry, um, we strive to move the needle further in strengthening the capabilities and expertise of financial institutions in responding to the intricacies and complexities of climate change. So the next few years will remain critical. It will be impactful and definitely it will be a very busy period for us and the industry. So the window of opportunity is finite and shrinking and we need to act fast. Yeah, it really does sound that we have a lot to look forward to over the next uh, few years. Thank you so much, Madalena, for joining us today. Thank you for listening. For more discussions on Islamic sustainable finance and investments, log on to www.islamicsustainable.com. You can also listen to the episodes on your favourite platforms, including iTunes and Spotify.